Hey you guys, it's your host Anna. Welcome to this week's episode on Undereducated. The conversation I have for you today is one with a friend that I connected with a couple years back. Her name is Emily. She has a journey that is unique to her and one that is truly beautiful and empowering and just eye-opening to listen to. I am in awe at all that she has overcome and in the person that she has become over the last couple of years. And while we all may not go through what Emily has gone through, I know that we can relate to her story and to what she shares in a very personal and real way. So I hope that all of you listen up and enjoy this episode because it is one that I think will really change us all for the better. So tune in and let's get a little more educated. My name is Emily Nico. I um, am 26 years old, if that's relevant. <laughs> Very relevant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just graduated with a bachelor's of social work um, in 2021, and I just started a master's in social work. And my long-term career goal is I want to get into therapy and get my LCSW. And um, I guess kind of what got me to that position is like my own life story, and I've spent, you know. 12 years in therapy essentially yeah. and so I feel like I've kind of been educated in this field my whole life to a degree you know sure. yeah. um, by just being the patient and so I guess just to give some context um, it's kind of like where do I jump into the story because really it's like from day one you know you start your story mm-hmm. um, and I used to always think my story kind of started when I was a teenager but the more I've learned about myself that was just like a product of something that happened earlier kind of thing. So um, let's see where I want to go with this. Basically, as a kid, I always was like told I had my quirks and like my ways of doing things and everybody thought it was funny and cute. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I never, it always like offended me because it was like these were things that I was doing as like a self-protective thing. And, um it was because of a certain trauma that I experienced around five. And so like an example was I had a lot of sensory stimulation issues where like, and just sensitivity, like anything I put on felt uncomfortable or like the way a sock would fit on my foot was just like, I hate this. Yeah. And like, so I'd have these kind of like freak outs and my mom's like, Emily, it's just a sock. Like just wear them, you know? And like was never, and she didn't know what was going on. Like you can't understand it. So instead of like, my emotions being validated it was always just like Emily stop crying like yes. it's just a sock totally. and as a mom of a toddler like right you go there unintentionally right. all the time where it's right. just like dude put on your shoe yeah I don't care you know yeah I, mean? I would do the same thing you know it's, it's like hard. you just don't think it's a thing and so um but it does like not validate the emotions you're feeling when mm-hmm. you receive that response yeah I mean and it's not just you know the parents fault it's like just the conditions of when you're a child you mm-hmm. don't have the intelligence or awareness to understand so you're just acting out like you're crying because of the emotional response you're having and you can't put words to it because you don't understand what's happening mm-hmm. I mean it took me until I was probably 25 to understand what was <laughs> happening you know so let alone could I do that at five but um kind of as I progress through elementary they just kind of would manifest in different ways so you know, I can look back at it and laugh now, but, like, in fourth grade, I wore my hair in probably the same ponytail for almost a month, and my hair started to become, like, dreadlocks. I love it. And, you know, it wasn't because I wanted to, like, Bob Marley. It was, like, <laughs> I had you such had this... ponytail that you needed to, like, <laughs> yeah. keep in your hair. And, like, what it was was, like, the, the thought of having to take out the ponytail 
and redo it and get it just perfect the way it felt on my head and the way it looked like it had to be perfect and that wasn't just like I can throw my hair in a ponytail and it feels good like it would be this hour an hour long process so I was avoiding that like frustration and just emotional reaction and so I just kept it in my hair and that's my response is avoidance that's like my go-to so and then around that same time it was like also the clothes that I'd wear I think in the fourth grade I wore two shirts and they all got holes in them and I like would get teased for it and it hurt but it was like I would rather be teased than go through just wearing a shirt that I didn't feel safe in because that's basically what it comes down to is I never like tracing back to when I was five and this particular trauma it made me not know how to be safe in my body and so I was acting out or trying to seek safety in the only way I knew which was like my visceral or not my visceral just my physical surroundings Mm -hmm. and so I was like well if I can control this or if I can avoid this I'm I'm going to be safe and you know basically what it was if like you kind of look more into the if you get a little more scientific I guess is like give it to us yeah (laughs) so basically a lot of the times if you like experience a trauma and I also feel like I need to put this little plug in there is like I for so long didn't know I had trauma because I was like I've never been in a mass shooting like I've never been in some huge natural disaster like I think we have these ideas deemed as traumatic right like Like, everybody knows and so I was like no like yeah I've had weird times but like not trauma like that's a whole nother level and um you know, I now know that that belief was a way of protecting me. I just couldn't like acknowledge that I had trauma because that would be like, okay, now what do I do with it if I know I have trauma? Mm -hmm. So basically like this trauma, um, when you experience trauma, it's not the event itself. It's the reaction to the event. And that's different for everybody. Like we could go through the same experience and it could be traumatic for you and not for me. So basically it's just the amygdala, which is like our primal part of our brains that are like the oldest that just, their only sole purpose is survival so it's very like black and white like good bad um safe unsafe like it doesn't have that higher level of functioning to like process the situation it's just like run your life isn't like you're, you could die basically yeah. so um basically if that amygdala gets um i guess kind of like hijacked it can start just to kind of be faulty like, it kind of, like, fuses. Um, and so, for me, it might – now that I learned that, it was, like, every situation that I was in, I would have this, like, overreaction to everything where instead of it just being, like, I don't know, like, a kid chasing me at recess, it was, like, I was having this crazy – and that's essentially what PTSD is to a degree. Like, mm-hmm. it's associated to some event that now your brain is just kind of, like, misfiring. Um, and that's what a lot of like anxiety disorders are. And so like, for me, it was more so like a panic disorder. And so I would have these episodes of like, um, like kind of what I mentioned earlier in kindergarten, like having this panic attack before going to school because I would put on every single thing in my closet and nothing felt right. And so I was having this panic attack. Um, but I didn't know that. And another, I think kind of like important thing to mention is, I didn't know I had a panic disorder for years because I think on TV you see the panic disorder is like rolling on the floor, screaming, like acting like you're having a heart attack or something. And that is some people's reality. Like it can manifest in that way. But my survival response is like shutting down and like hiding and like, you know, kind of going into my shell. Mm -hmm. So I would just like shut down. But I was it felt like my body was on fire and my heart would speed up and you know, my blood pressure and I was having all these visceral responses, but I, it's like, I, it was all trapped in me. I didn't know how to put words to it and express what was happening. And whenever I would try my, like my response from the people who just didn't understand, like there's no ill intent on there and they just didn't get it. So unintentionally they would either minimize it or, you know, brush it aside. And so I learned like nobody can help me. Um, this obviously is just like, not real like I just learned how to suppress and avoid and deny all of like my emotional reactions so I just learned like I can't trust myself I can't trust my emotions everything is unsafe like that was the primary message that my mind learned from a young age is like 
it's not safe to be my body. The world isn't safe. I can't trust people. And so um, those belief systems, like, we all have our own belief systems that um, are kind of, and that's why they talk about, like, core beliefs. And they always are, like, in therapy, it's kind of like this cliche, like, well, tell me about your childhood. And I used to hate when people would ask me that, but it's like, it that's important because when you're a child and you're learning everything, like, you're so impressionable and like what you learn about your world and yourself in that time, like it sticks with you for yeah. life. And, and I so don't think you realize how much you like internalize and take totally. on until you're an adult and right. you're like facing life situations and you're like, wow, why do I even have that belief? Exactly. Like, oh, cause I was six and like playing with that all the time. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. And like, if like you tell a kid Santa Claus is real and they believe it, like there's no, part of your brain that questions anything it's just like what you see is what you believe yeah. or even like what you're told and so um basically I gotta, I gotta speed this up um so I had always had these tendencies and I think like an important piece of the puzzle is a huge theme of it was you know feeling like I didn't have control of the way I felt in my body and that manifested through trying to wear certain things or do my hair a certain way and so I had made this association with, like, safety in my body to some degree. And so as I got older and, like, you're learning social cues, I recognized, like, okay, well, I can't wear the same three things. Like, that's embarrassing. Like notice. So I'm like, okay, so now how do I cope? Like, all my coping skills in my childhood were now being threatened just because of maturing. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of kept that connection of, like, well, if I can, you know, change something about me and my body that'll provide this illusion of safety and you know I can't really control everything happening in my external world but I can control what I you know maybe put into my mouth or the way my body looks or whatever and so um I kind of I I've always struggled with transitionary periods like I had a really hard time going from elementary to middle school and then middle school to high school was like so overwhelming for me and I remember seeing my friends like seem so excited and like we're in high school now and boys and everything and I just had this like how how are people not freaking out and everybody has fears but it was like I was still at the emotional maturity of five because with trauma trauma literally like is stored in the body and it gets stuck and you will stop like emotionally developing if you don't work through that Mm -hmm. and so I was like you know doing great in a lot of areas but like I'm feeling the basics of emotions I hadn't learned because I was terrified of emotions mm-hmm. so um I think just the pressure of this huge life change and needing to feel important and good enough and the natural teenage like competitiveness that comes with girls and yes. all that stuff that we all experience but I was viewing it from the lens of like trauma and this I had already developed a lot of like OCD tendencies and carrying this panic tendency so that was just like can kind of like morphing my view of everything so like if you know somebody looked at me weird in the hall I was like having this re- like internalizing it, yeah like, like I'm like I'm not enough like it just immediately was like a complete like there, there was no logical connection but to me it made comp- perfect sense yeah. so um you know, I did really well my freshman year. I, at the beginning, you know, I was doing, like, I was suiting up for varsity. Like, I was, on paper, looked like I had everything going great for me. And it was actually that, like, feeling of success that was the most vulnerable because that meant, like, it could be taken from me. And the idea of failing was just, like, you know, I had used perfectionism as a way of feeling in control of my life. So if I'm not perfect then it's immediately threatening my safety. So if I wasn't the best soccer player, if I wasn't the prettiest girl, whatever I told myself, Mm -hmm. if I was even the second best, well, that's not first. And only people that are first are the best. And those are the ones noticed. And there's kind of a theme of my trauma where I felt unseen. So I constantly had this feeling of pay attention to me, like look at me. Um, And so I think kind of what happened was just the, the compilation of so much stress and like expectation that I put on myself I just like I cannot do this anymore and instead of like channeling that into something healthy like improving my soccer skills I just kind of like gave up and I was like uh, I need something else to like just let me let 
like let go of all these things that are just so heavy on me and so it was around the fall time like October and I have kind of like seasonal affective stuff so I Mm -hmm. tend to get more depressed as the season shift so I think that maybe played into it but I remember one day um, coming home from school and like getting on Google or something and I just for some reason just like Google search like anorexia and I remember that day so well and you know I think probably the more common response or maybe healthy response is if you were to look at images of that you'd probably feel this like aversion or sadness or like oh my gosh they're clearly suffering or maybe some people have judgments like those people are crazy like we all are going to respond differently but my response to that was almost like I was looking at a god to a degree like that is amazing and I now know it was because I I would view that and I would think they have some sort of a power that most people right right they don't even need to succumb to basic survival needs and like that felt powerful to me and that felt even better than like being the best soccer player because there's plenty of other talented athletes around but it was like I didn't know anybody in my life at the time that was like struggling with an eating disorder or like anorexia specifically Mm -hmm. so it was like this is the thing that's going to make me feel seen and set me apart and make me you know, I, I don't love the idea of power, but that's what it is. And I now know that power is just the response of feeling trapped and you feel trapped in trauma. So I was just naturally as a response needing something that made me feel like I had power because that means control and that means you can protect yourself from some threat. Um, and so it kind of just went downhill from there. <laughs> I could like go into detail of everything throughout my high school experience, but Basically, I just stopped eating. I lost a significant amount of weight super fast. And um, my body just couldn't adapt and keep up with it. So all of a sudden, I'm, you know, getting hospitalized and I'm getting a feeding tube. And I'm, you know, up at primary children's. And the thing is, is there's there's a lot of, (laughs) I have my opinions about, you know, labels and being diagnosed with things. And I think it can bring comfort to some people, but it also when I was in such a vulnerable state and I had already lost my identity being the soccer player because now I had no muscle on my body and I had to quit because I couldn't run for two seconds. Right. Like I just was completely depleted. And so now I had lost and like I had withdrawn from my friends. Like it caused all these other issues because people were worried about me that I had lost all the other parts of my healthy identity. And all that was left now was, you know, this, doctor telling me that I have anorexia nervosa and I was like that's what I heard and that's who I am and I just that became my sole obsession and it it was so um it provided such a level of safety for me because I used to just stress about all like the 50 things I had to do um you know boys soccer like I mean it's funny now to look back of like I thought high school was so stressful but at the time it's overwhelming And so now, like, I can mute all that out and only obsess about what I was putting into my body and what my body looked like. And that was my sole focal point. Nothing else mattered. I didn't care if I failed in everything else as long as I could, like, master this. And unfortunately, like, people are trying to help you. And so it is drawing attention to you. And even though it's negative attention, it didn't matter. It was just, like, that, that need for feeling seen. And, like, even though I wasn't understood, I was at least seen. And I had never felt that. So it was, like you think I'm going to let this go now? Like I finally have this need met and people are finally paying attention to me. Cause it was kind of like, it felt like I was screaming at people my whole life of like, help me. Like I'm, I am experiencing something that I can't put words to. I'm suffering and it's manifesting in all these weird behaviors, but I don't know how to like express that. So it was all of a sudden like, I realized if I could act it out on my body and have it be such an extreme that people are forced to pay attention, then like, then I'll know I've made it. And so that's basically what happened. And so I just kept feeding into the disorder. And my whole high school experience was essentially just, you know, I had positive experiences high school and I had friends and everything, but it did not look like the typical high school experience. You know, my free time was sitting in doctor's appointments and therapy appointments and, you know, being told my meal plan from a dietitian every week. And that, you know, it's hard because I needed that support, but it also became my world. And I didn't care about anything else. And so basically my senior year, my parents told me, like, if you do not gain weight and meet a healthy BMI, 
like we're not going to support you through college or even after this like you're 18 you're on your own and obviously they didn't want to do that but they were like she's not she's not learning like she has to have some sort of pressure to like change and so I recognized that and I had always viewed college as this like fresh new start Mm -hmm. and so I was like okay I'm gonna do this I can do this and look at you now, like, just to, like, I'm like, girl, you're getting your freaking master's. I know. it's Well, the funny thing is, is now I look back and this was, like, really where my story kind of began as far as, like, the change process. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, I remember, so my senior year, basically what happened was I made this commitment with my doctor and my mom that, like, my mom, and this this is, like, the Maudsley method. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. And I had basically been doing this all throughout high school where my mom would portion out my food and I had to eat it. And if I didn't... I would be sent to the hospital and get a feeding tube. So in a way, that saved my life. Like, I have no doubt I can confidently say I would not be alive because I just could not eat. Like, it got to the point where I would have a panic attack looking at food. And so if my brain is saying, like, associating food with death, like, of course you're not going to eat it, you know? Like, you wouldn't poison yourself. So I'm grateful for my parents for implementing this because it saved my life. But ultimately – um, I never took the accountability yet. It was always like people were choosing what I ate. I still hadn't learned how to take care of myself. But I just surrendered to it and I, you know, I gained like 10 pounds and I thought it was the end of the world. I just cried because now I looked a little bit healthier and I was losing this identity that became like everything to me. But I I met the bare minimum BMI and so I got the go-ahead for college and I lasted a semester at BYU and I dropped weight. So I had to go home. So it was just kind of like, okay, I did what they told me to do. I'm eating. Why am I not, like, getting better? Um, And um, basically, to sum it all up, from, you know, 18 to, honestly, like, even just last year. And now it's been a common theme of when you're, like, recovering from anorexia is when you start the refeeding process, you can start having these, like, insatiable urges. So that can translate into bulimia or just binge eating. So now it was like I was now having these like two monsters kind of where I would go from either heavily restricting to then, you know, binging and purging. And so it was like this super terrifying place of like I prided myself in the ability to not eat and now I can't stop eating. Mm -hmm. So I felt so chaotic and like just probably out of control. Nothing. I had no control and I just was miserable. And so because I felt like now. I couldn't use just my eating disorder to like give me the safety because it was now causing all these other issues. I continued to feel more and more trapped. And so that led me to, well, then I should just not be alive. And so a lot of my college years and later early adult years was, you know, being in the ER for overdosing and all these behaviors that my parents are just like, what is she doing? Like, what is happening? We don't understand And it's just because, like, they want to help, but it's like, I didn't even know why I was doing what I was doing, you know? And it's it's just such a weird thing to look at. But um, I think after my – the final time that I was, like, in the hospital for a suicide attempt, it was kind of like, okay, I have to do something drastic. And so I had kind of taken a break from therapy because I had just given up on the whole concept. And I got back into therapy, and I met the therapist that I have today who, like – is like my my savior in my eyes like he's just been the most influential person in my life and I think that's why I'm so obsessed with therapy is because like I've seen the influence that it's had on me in my life and so like the last you know six to seven years has just been going through this process of highs and lows and learning and setbacks and remission and relapse like it's not been this I decided to get help and I got better it's been seasons of you know a lot of regression and um Which I think it's so healthy to like put that out there yeah and, like the reality of it is like when you have struggled with something like you don't snap your fingers and it's gone right like, right it takes hard work it takes like this whole process and like you're not going to be great every day and that's okay totally know? but it's being able to recognize that like I'm not a failure because I wasn't good today mm-hmm. like I can still move forward and be okay and like work keep working and keep working yeah, no, that's such a but good you're point. you're just, like, proof of that. Like, look at you. Well, but it's so hard to have that mindset in the moment, oh, especially absolutely. when you're a perfectionist because that's, yeah. like, a way of coping. It was, like, I felt like I couldn't make one misstep because, like, I just believed that I had to do it perfectly. Yes. And so that kept me stuck for a really long time. Um, 
But, yeah, so basically that season was bouts of, you know, I went back to treatment for a while. I had really just exhausted all of my options, it felt like. And I, you know, I would have, like, 2020 and 2021 were pretty good years for me. It was kind of like this time in my life where I was like, wow, I really think I'm figuring out. And that was when I decided I wanted to go back to school for social work. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like I was transcending my identity from the patient to you know, now the provider, which yeah. I think can be really empowering. And a lot of people who have personal history ends up in this field because of that reason. And so that was really healthy for me. And then when I graduated, it was kind of like this other big change again. Mm-hmm. And so that triggered things for me. Um, and all during this time, I am finally like putting the pieces of my life together and I'm like addressing the trauma. And so that looked like, you know, doing EMDR, which if you don't know, that's eye movement decent desensitization reprocessing it's a mouthful um which is you know used for trauma and it's basically like you can use a light your fingers and you're you're going your therapist or whoever's doing it will like move their fingers back and forth across your eyes really quickly and it's supposed to like tap into a level of your subconscious Mm. to be able to like re um experience the trauma to then have like create a new belief system around it and change your like emotional response so okay. it's really draining and exhausting yeah, but that sounds totally exhausting it is like i saw a benefit in it the only problem is my anxiety was still like trying to protect me so hard that it was hard for me to truly tap into it and so that's why i started like hearing about these ketamine treatments mm-hmm. and i was like okay like emdr has helped me but what would this do and so this last fall i started doing them and it was like the first time I had ever let like my entire guard down and let myself just like feel these feelings that I've never understood or even like known how to feel because I never knew how to give myself that permission. And so, you know, I basically was doing the treatments from September to like December and I learned so much and felt so many suppressed emotions. But it also, you know, when you feel things, it can also like trigger your need to like rely on previous like coping coping skills skills. Mm -hmm. so I I saw myself regressing in the fall and I was like what is happening like this is not supposed to be happening but Mm -hmm. I'm realizing now that it was like I needed to go through that and learn the things to kind of like get to where I am now and this year has been like the quickest I've like evolved through things Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like doing my trauma work and learning everything I've learned in school combined with you know, just my lived experiences and what I've learned in therapy, it's like all the pieces have kind of come together. And it's kind of been this like spiritual awakening for me is like the best way I can explain it is. And I, I think it's just like, we all can kind of reach this clarity, I think in our lives, but we don't really know the equation of how to get there. And we all have different lived experiences. So like, you're going to hear bits and pieces of my story that are going to resonate to you. But I think kind of the main, like, thing that I kind of want to put like an emphasis on is like kind of the concept of CBT which is like a very well-known used thing in the therapy world which is just like um, cognitive behavioral therapy and you know I, I knew about it but I didn't really understand it entirely until you know the last year or so and realizing the power that it is and basically it's this chain reaction that we all have our belief systems and those are kind of what we talked about earlier is the things that you, you know, start believing as a child. And that is through experiences and, like, what you're told. And it looks different for everybody. Somebody could have really positive core beliefs. Mm -hmm. But especially if you experience, like, a traumatic childhood, your core beliefs are probably not going to be positive. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, when you're a child, you can't look at it objectively. It's like you have such an egocentric perspective as a child that everything is about you. So to make sense of the trauma – you look internal and it it translates to shame and blame and like well if I would have done something differently Mm -hmm. so then it becomes like something's defective about me and then your core beliefs are surrounded around that so like my core beliefs were like I'm invisible I'm unlovable I'm incapable I'm unworthy I'm never enough like that general theme and we all can relate to that to a degree absolutely and so basically the the model and theory of CBT is that we have these core beliefs and our beliefs influence thoughts and we have so many thoughts in the day that we don't even we're not even aware of (laughs) maybe like we're probably aware of one percent of them like let's be honest we're living in this autopilot state yes and so for whatever reason we'll maybe cling to a thought and 
if you <laughs> I didn't realize like for so long I thought emotions were just like you had no control of them type of a thing like which is true to a degree yeah where you're like oh you just feel the things you feel when you go through yeah something. like somebody like, says something rude go. of course I'm gonna feel emo- like I just yes. saw it from such a surface level context yes but I didn't realize that like emotions don't just happen out of nowhere like they're connected to something it's I didn't even know what the word emotion meant. It's literally like emotion, energy, and motion. It's not just something you learn in kindergarten is a smiley face or a frowny face. It's like, it's this literal, like visceral response that has like a, you know, a physiological mechanism in our bodies. And so learning that like you cannot have an emotion. Yeah. It's wild. You cannot have an emotion unless it is like birthed from a thought. And that thought is birthed from a belief. So... And then, like, taking... That's such a powerful, like... I'm like, get that, everybody. Listen to that. Right. No, I'm serious. Like, like if you can tune out everything else that I've said prior to this, but, like, this is, like, what the concept that I want people to understand because it is so amazing, like, if you really understand the concept and, like, apply it, like, we can literally do anything. Like, that is yeah. so cheesy to say. No, but for real. Yeah. Like. It's insane. <laughs> like, so, basically kind of scaling back we have the beliefs which trigger thoughts and all of our thoughts are us you know experiencing our service level of life through the lens of those beliefs so if somebody yells at you at work your thoughts are going to be like oh my gosh like i'm gonna lose my job i'm you know everybody hates me you're gonna have employee exactly a bazillion thoughts around that and that's connected to some early core belief that of like when you get like reprimanded it means that you're the worst right exactly so it's triggering something in you that we don't understand that like it's there's a reason why we're having that emotion because it's like completely like going into our subconscious and unconscious of like oh this was a painful thing like pay attention to this so then those thoughts um are the byproduct of the beliefs and then if you choose to like stick to a thought instead of just like acknowledging it as a thought as like a objective lens but if you believe your thoughts are facts and you're going to attach to it and that's what's going to trigger the emotion and so that emotion could look like anger where you want to like punch a wall because you know you hate your boss or it could look like shutting down or avoidance or you know it's whatever the emotion it could just be shame fear uh you know i don't know inadequacy like there's just so many responses that we're all going to have to a certain event and then we have like emotions have to be released you can't just like you have to do something with it it can't stay in this like just, you like, know pent up, right like, yeah and so this is where people go wrong though is it's like that emotion it's literally sending signals to like our our cores of like this motion of do something with it so if you're having a negative thought that leads to a negative emotion you're most likely going to have a negative behavior and that's like the final piece of the the four chain belief, thought, emotion, behavior. Mm. And so, you know, the work example, if your boss yells at you at work and then you have those thoughts which triggers these emotions, so then the behavior could be you quit your job or you punch your boss or something that's going to have, you know, repercussions. And then you feel so much shame about what you just did that it's going to trigger a need to self-soothe again. So then you're probably going to go to something else destructive. So, you know, if you struggle with substances, it's, mm-hmm. you know, this is what an addiction is. It's just numbing or suppressing or avoiding whatever the emotion is because we've never been taught how to feel emotions. So, you know, for me, that was the cycle I was in is just if you're not eating because energy is calories and energy is emotion. So mm-hmm. not eating, I didn't feel the intensity of emotions that I used to. Mm-hmm. So it was this way of avoiding it and so the same way some people will use drugs I was just not eating and it was serving the same function like we all and unfortunately at a, it is as a society like we have stigmas around some ways of coping like mm-hmm. you know if they're a drug addict or they have an eating disorder and those are all negative but then you know if you're maybe have codependency issues i mean i guess there's stigmas around that too but there's some things that are deemed socially acceptable and then there's other categories oh they're mentally ill you know Mm -hmm. and it's like we're all doing the same thing in different ways if we could understand that like you have no option but to have self-compassion and compassion for other people you know like we are all experiencing the same thing and we just don't really get that yeah and so the cool thing about this model that's like the main um piece that i want to focus on is 
you can see that negative um, cyclical cycle, but we have the power to make it a positive cycle. So if you can understand, you know, what those, and I'm not saying you have to get rid of your negative core beliefs. You can challenge them for sure and you can, you know, try to add healthier ones into it, but mm -hmm. it's not about necessarily getting rid of those early core beliefs. But now for me, like, if I have an event happen and I, I feel that, you know, something is stung in me deep, which is going to lead to, you know, my thoughts. And, you know, I, I'm going to have a lot of different thoughts. So one of them could be, I'm, you know, whatever the negative thought is, but I also could have a positive thought. And it's a choice to say, which thought do I want to feed? And which one do I, like, want to just let pass by? I don't have to attach to every thought. Mm -hmm. And so by choosing to prioritize the positive thoughts, it's going to trigger a positive emotion. And so I could feel gratitude. I could feel peace. I could feel empowerment, whatever. And that positive emotion is going to trigger a positive behavior. So then I don't need the negative behavior to suppress my emotion. And I think a really good way of look, because I for years thought I was feeling emotions. I'm like, yes, I'm feeling emotions. I'm pissed. I'm sad. I'm angry. Like, yes. what do you mean I'm not feeling my emotions? And it was, I was feeling the initial like screaming at me, but mm -hmm. then I didn't know what to do with it. So it's kind of like if you were like had of a child, like you can relate to this. If your child is like in their room screaming and crying, you go and you open the door and you help the child. You don't just say shut up and you shove it back in the room yeah. to keep crying. Like there is a need that needs to be met. And so we do it for other people, but we don't know how to do it for ourselves. Yeah. And that's so interesting yeah. because I actually was reading. I need to find the article. I'll post it. But I was reading a research article about this exact topic. How really? like the respondents that you give to like a newborn versus how it translates into like toddler, adolescence, like young adulthood. Mm -hmm. And just how like as a human grows, like they're expected to like respond differently mm -hmm. almost, you know, because it's like you've grown, you know, you shouldn't scream when that experience right. happens. And so rather than like responding in a way that you would respond to a newborn where you're like, oh, I'm going to meet your every need. You're crying. Mm -hmm. You need me. I'm coming. Like my two-year-old it's like dude you're fine yeah when really all they need you to go over and say is like hey are you okay and then like give them that like that validation yes the That's validation all they want. of saying yeah. like oh mommy understood me and then like we move on exactly. like genuinely exactly. like i'm like i've tried it with my child and by all means like i am not perfect at this but there are days when i make an effort to mm -hmm. like really get on lewis's level and be like bro I can tell you're feeling big feels like mm -hmm. what is happening and like our day immediately has a shift yeah where like if I'm consumed with like the housework or like the other baby or like the food or you know all the other to do's that you find mm -hmm. on your list like he just escalates all day long and yeah. by bedtime it's just a mess you know what right. I mean when I think on like a different scale we totally feel that same way as an adult like when mm -hmm. you just feel like nothing you're feeling is being validated like you have this in every relationship you have like you internalize and then in response like to what you're internalizing like your relationship either like goes downhill or mm -hmm. like you know what I mean totally. there's just so many things that are affected by you not realizing like you have the choice to control mm -hmm. like negative or positive right the instant you have that thought right which is like way easier to say and like in retrospect <laughs> right. easier to be like girl pick that positive thought yeah but, yeah like if you can make that connection and like start to like internalize that you can do that mm -hmm. I just think it's amazing what you can accomplish right you know yeah I mean exactly like we're essentially have a bunch of you know inner cries within us and so kind of this formula of like how do I feel my emotions it's it's validating it but for me kind of what the equation looks like is you know, if I feel an emotion so intensely, I have to first get into my right nervous system. So if it's mm -hmm. something that's so activating and arousing, you know, you, we have our parasympathetic and our sympathetic nervous system. I'm sure you know all about yeah. this. And so our fight or flight sympathetic nervous system, if you're in that state, which <laughs> I've lived a lot of my life in that state, <laughs> yes. as a lot of us yes. have. Yes. And we're shifting between. But I like to view it as like a house. Um, we all have this protective house. And maybe if you're in your sympathetic nervous system, you're in the attic and you're looking through the window to see any sort of a threat and in order to get down the stairs and back into like your center grounded you know middle ground where which would be your parasympathetic nervous system where you're not looking through whoever's going to come you know threaten you 
the stairway is like the piece of feeling the emotions. So you first have to get out of a hyper aroused state. And for me, that's always first immediately like making the connection of tapping into my breath because when you're in a you know fight or flight response you're going to be breathing quickly your heart rate's going to go up your blood pressure you're going to have all these reactions and so by first just recognizing my breath and then doing you know you can do breath work there's more like precise ways but for me it's like slowing down and making sure my exhale is longer than my inhale because the exhale is where it's triggering um your sympathetic nervous system to translate into your parasympathetic nervous system and it does I don't know how long that's going to take me but to the point that I feel like I can return back on my prefrontal cortex which is where our logical reasoning you know emotionally intelligent part of our brain is because mm-hmm. when you're in your amygdala your fight or fight response that's completely turned off like you can see it in MRIs it's black so you can't make a responsible response and decision when you're in fight or flight it's yeah. impossible it's like putting a jigsaw puzzle together in pitch dark like it's just not gonna happen so by focusing on the breath you can like re-channel your right nervous system to be able to then like respond in a healthy appropriate way and you're not relying on like impulse but like mature logic and reasoning but it's so hard and so that's why I always will have to first focus on the breath and then the next piece for me is the validation piece of once I'm a little bit calmer and that front part of my mind is starting to turn on I have to like, I literally have a list of emotions and I will just go down the list because I used to think I felt three emotions, maybe like happy, sad, like frustrated. I don't know. Or like depressed. Like, I don't know. I just had such a very small idea of like what emotions were. And I one time saw a list of just hundreds of emotions and I was like, I don't know the difference between rejection or abandoned. And so now it's like looking at the emotions and naming them because the The identifying and the naming is the validating. And by just giving it a name and a face and permission to be there, like you said, the child will stop crying. Mm -hmm. And another way of viewing it is like if you're boiling a pot of water and, you know, the the bubbles that start to boil are the thoughts and the emotions coming up. And you can either, you know, take off the lid and let the evaporation process happen and those thoughts just naturally, you know, diffuse – or you can put the lid back on and let it bubble and bubble until it explodes. And we usually don't realize that we have a problem or we need help until the explosion, unfortunately. Yeah. So the simple act of just owning and validating, naming the emotion, and then just sitting with it and accepting it versus trying to run away from it, you really only feel emotions for about 30 seconds. But it's the response that we have to it by either feeling it or suppressing it that will keep the chain reaction of keeping you in a state of suffering or yeah, like stewing right and so like I used to think oh I can be depressed for weeks like don't tell me I feel my emotions for 30 seconds that's not true but really it was just then by feeling those emotions I was going back into that cycle of coping with negative behaviors which is triggering negative emotions Mm -hmm. so you just get stuck in that loop so I was experiencing long periods of time in terrible states because I didn't know how to just simply feel my emotions Mm -hmm. and so the kind of next step is after you identify them it's like, okay, well, now what? It's yes, it's accepting, it's feeling, but then you're, you should fully be in the mind where you can now, like, problem solve. And so the way of dealing with whatever the negative event was, it's maybe I need to learn how to set boundaries. And so that kind of now, uh, the next step is more like a behavioral level of what do I actually need to do to, like, resolve this? Mm-hmm. Is that, like, internal work? Does it involve somebody else? But you can't get there. You cannot try to fix the external world before you've, like, fixed the internal world. And so basically, to sum this all up, I don't know where we are in time. Girl, I don't even know either. Okay. We're fine. Well, okay, cool. (laughs) Great. I didn't know if there was like a time frame, but I think kind of the last few months for me is I've had these like really impactful, the best way I can explain it is like spiritual. Like Mm -hmm. it's somehow like my um, cognitive like education and understanding of therapy has somehow like broken through this level that now I like have combined it with these more higher level spiritual experiences as well that it's like applying like a whole new meaning and really it's it's the same idea of cbt but basically i've learned throughout my life that the beliefs that i've had about myself that a lot of those beliefs led me to unfortunately self-destructive things like i believed i had the strength to stop eating and the simple belief that i could do it is what made that my reality and so 
the coolest thing about life is like we have complete choice of what we want to believe and I used to think well how do I how do I change a belief like but the fact that (laughs) the literal thought of I can't change a belief is a belief like we literally have the capacity to believe anything we choose but you just have to have like a level of humbleness humbleness is that a word (laughs) humility (laughs) oh my gosh hi humility um and just like not being so fixed in like what you think you know and just being open-minded and Mm -hmm. viewing like I love the idea of like viewing life from a child's mind of just like curiosity and non-judgment and just like you're trying to understand things we immediately are putting judgments on everything in our life and that's keeping us in such a fixed mindset that if you can like view your life now from just like almost this is your first time experiencing it it just like opens up possibilities and I think for me what's been really transformational for me and what's kind of got me out of this last phase of like feeling like I finally kind of made it because I've been close for so long but there was still like and I still have my work I'm not saying I've like completely transcended but but the like strides that you've made right right so it's kind of like recognizing that I don't have to hold this belief anymore of like because I told myself for years like this is gonna be my whole life I'm gonna struggle with this forever and just different intensities and I I believe that and so that was feeding that belief was keeping it a part of my story because mm-hmm. I was giving it power I believed that that was gonna be my life and yeah. everybody's obsessed with like manifestation right now but like really that like, all that real. is is just belief yeah and you know a kind of an interesting story that's really quick that I'll just share is Um, I'm reading this book and they talk about, they're talking about beliefs in the book. And there was a guy who worked um, in like refrigeration of some sort, but not like household refrigerators, like big freezer storage type of things. And he always had this belief that he, like he just believed without a doubt that he was going to die by being frozen to death. Like one day he was going to get trapped and it was going to happen. Sure enough, one day comes, he gets trapped inside of one of them. And the next morning, his daughter finds him dead. But this is the most insane, like, mind-blowing part of it. Is they realized after they found him that the freezer was not on. I was going to say, I was going to say he didn't die. It was completely room temperature. But his mind believed without a doubt that he was freezing. So he had the, like, probably visceral response of, like, I'm cold. And that belief triggered the systems in your body to shut down and die. So that shows you, if that does not teach you the power of beliefs, that it literally has that capacity to completely, like, life or death scenario, like, we can literally make anything possible and anything happen. And the people that have, like, made it big in this world are the people that have, like, not fed the doubts. We all have the doubts. Like, you can't avoid that, but recognizing that that's just fear and, like, instead of, like, being mad at it, but being like, thank you, I understand that you're trying to protect me and, like, I appreciate that, but... I don't need that Mm -hmm. and like so validating it instead of just like being mad at it like I think we're at war with ourselves and these protective systems in us of like stop feeling emotions why do I feel this way but it's like everything is just a messenger and instead of like judging it and labeling it and wanting it to go away like for me a huge piece has just been thank you for like sending me this emotion or this message I hear you but I'm going to choose to respond differently because I know that that's actually not going to help me it's going to hurt me And so, like, just kind of, like, talking back to myself in my head, it's, like, those messages are being sent to me. And so, basically, in conclusion, I just think there's so many layers to this. But we have, like, we watch movies about superheroes and we think, like, wow, you know, like, these people have all these powers. But, like, that is so cheesy. But, like, really, we have so much power within us to just, like, create any reality that we want to you know, you hear about people who have overcome cancer just because they believe they could. Like, there is something. I worked in cancer. I yeah, saw it all the time. Exactly. Was, like, people would literally, like, blow us out of the water and walk away when we thought they were going to die. Yesterday. Right, right. It's, it's just, like, the mind shift. Well, and that's and, kind of that spiritual piece. It's like, you yeah. can look at the science of, like, okay, the, the fact is, is you're going to die because this is happening. But there is something, like, greater, and that might be tapping into, like, your higher power. And that's kind of this next level that I think is amazing is, yes, we can see all this information and we have all this science and that's all true and valid and great. But it's like, I think there's even something more meaningful and bigger than we like. We just can't see the big picture. And I think the belief is kind of like that gateway avenue of like reaching this higher level of capacity 
and kind of like channeling your higher power or God or whatever name you want to give it mm-hmm. of like, that's not this external thing. Like that is within us. And if you believe that, like you can overcome any disorder, any condition, any trauma, any loss, like not saying it's not going to hurt and it's not going to take work. Like everything that I've shared, I have been in therapy for, you know, 12 years and treatment. And it's been like, not like weekly, you know, it's not like just, I've gone up like once a year. It's been like, I have put more energy into this. Right. So it's like, you can't just want this and think it's going to work out. It's, it's work, but believing that you can get there is the key. And it's, it literally all comes down to beliefs. And so I just want to let everybody know that's listening. Like you can literally do anything. And like, I believe in you and you just need to believe in yourself. And like the world is yours. And one day when I'm certified, we'll all go to her because she'll be our boss <laughs> therapist. And we'll be like, save us all. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Though, girl. Um, I have one last question for you. And yes. this is more just me being curious okay. and kind of derailing. Love it. But you have beautiful tattoos yeah. all over your back now. Yes, I do. And they tie into your healing a little bit. Is Absolutely. What I can gather from, you know, the way that you post about them and kind yeah. of speak about them. And I'm just wondering if you could kind of just, like, cherry on top, explain, like, how that has totally been healing for you. Yeah, I could do a whole podcast on my literally. tattoo story. I well, literally could. Well, beautiful, you guys. I'm like, I'm going to post a picture of them so everyone can appreciate. Oh, my gosh. And we should all go get tattoos from you. I love it. Also I love that. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, I love my tattoos because of, like, you know, the way they look. But my tattoos have such a deeper meaning to me because – not just because of like what the actual tattoo is, but there's a whole story behind that where the time in my life where I got my first tattoo is really when I was experiencing a lot of pain that I like that phase of my life where I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And I was such a people pleaser and I hated conflict. I hated discomfort. I avoided it at all costs. And so I made myself small literally my whole life to like fit in and, you know, make everybody else comfortable. And I like I had no identity when I was younger. I was terrified of like tapping into my authenticity and how I want to express myself because I was so scared of like judgment or rejection and so I remember can I do like a shout out to a friend <laughs> I was with Brooke Williams my home girl <laughs> and she's the best she's she's always channeled this like be you feeling yes. in me that like nobody you meet else her once and you're like the radiance exactly she just, like, she's this glowing <laughs> light we yeah. love you Brooke um Literally. but anyways it was like one late night and we kind of started talking about tattoos and she's like why don't we just go get one? And I was like, okay, yeah. Like, like, <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden I just had this like huge overwhelming feeling like, why not? You know? And mm-hmm. granted I was not really like, I was in such a stressed state of mind that I was not probably thinking clearly. And I was, I only knew how to respond impulsively. So it was actually like, like very comforting for me to <laughs> yeah. just like go with my gut. Um, but we ended up going and getting one. My first one was called self love club or said not called. Um, and so that was really cool because it was like, you know, that's so cheesy. Now I'm kind of like everybody probably has that no, tattoo. No. But um, really like the meaning behind it was I hid my tattoos for like three months because I knew like I, you know, <laughs> I just had very – parents had very strong belief systems around, you know, what was right and what was wrong and especially tattoos. It wasn't just like a, a religious lens. It was like what that meant you know, how you are in society. Yeah. Like we have all these stigmas and judgments. And so my parents, unfortunately, I wrote a letter. That's how I wanted to give it to them because I couldn't face the fact of actually saying it because I knew I would just shut down. I would lose my voice. So I wrote out this whole essay and my mom ended up finding it without me giving it to her. And so it created this whole, you know, (laughs) another traumatic basically experience. And basically, you know, I love my parents to death, but I – would not have responded this way, if, you know. And I know in hindsight they wouldn't have. Now I know, we've yes. talked about it. We've healed this. They are very sorry, but basically they said like we'll pay any amount of money to get them removed. And they told me like nobody's ever gonna love me because I have tattoos. I'll never like nobody's gonna like just mm-hmm. feeding all these internal beliefs that I already had about myself. And so I was so hurt by that and felt so rejected that you know I kind of bought into it. And I was like, fine, I'll just get it removed. And I went to one tattoo removal appointment. And so it like faded a little bit. And I don't know what came over me, but I recognized I had some sort of a level of insight. Like this was literally me like going back to shrinking myself and like choosing to make other people comfortable and choosing to protect myself by 
not being authentic to myself and avoiding the discomfort of what it takes to be authentic and vulnerable. And I, I saw that and I was like, this is not the person, you know, even if this does have repercussions, like maybe I won't get married. I don't know, you know, like yeah. I would rather just like know that I can do something different and respond differently. Like that will be very empowering for me. And so I remember going home and like telling my parents, like, I'm not doing this anymore. And that simple act of like, I guess you could say rebellion. But for me, it was like the first real decision I made for myself, like ever in my life. And the fact that I learned that I can, you know, I can have my own voice and my own boundaries and my own, you know, authenticity and people can reject me and I'm still going to be okay. Like I had to have the negative reaction and then like survive it to realize like I can be hurt by other people and people don't have to, don't have to approve of me, but it's not going to kill me, you know, like it's going to hurt, but like I can survive it. And that gave me this, like I felt the chains kind of relinquish and I started to make decisions like, what do I think? And I experimented for a lot of years and I made dumb decisions, but I needed to in order to like kind of find my area and like what was important to me and my values. And I wouldn't trade that for the world, you know, like that's shaped me. And so now my tattoos, you know, I lo- I, I've always loved the way tattoos look, which is, is initially what drew me to them. But now it's kind of this symbol you know I've had the thought like what if I'm 90 and they look like crap and I regret them but I have to remind myself like this is not about what they look like it's about the message and that pivotal part of my life of like I kind of became I kind of was like born in that moment of like my true self in a way Mm -hmm. and so like every time I look at my tattoos it's kind of just like reminding me like I had the the bravery and the courage to be me for once in my life and all my tattoos do have their own specific meanings and they all represent something that somehow is like a piece of my story. So to me, I kind of feel like I'm like this walking work of art of my life and my story. And I've always, I'm an, I don't like to say I'm an artist, but I've always loved art. I love to draw. It's been but a huge healing thing. <laughs> like, but are. like what, it what's a cooler what thing to make like our biggest piece ourselves? And whether that's, you know, actually displaying it on your body tattoos or like, like my story in my life is the most important like work of art I'll ever work on. And yeah it's still evolving. Like I'm still so young and I don't know where life is going to take me, but I believe that it's going to be something amazing because I understand how the system, you know, not the like actual societal system, but like how the systems of our bodies and the way things happen work. And so it's kind of like, I feel like I kind of have like a secret, you know, like people have been giving me the key for a long time, but I had to find the door. And that's the hard piece is I can give you the key right now by telling you this, but like you have to find the door within you. And that's the hardest part because it takes so much courage because it's just easier to just like play safe and play small and not talk about these things and not be vulnerable and just keep doing the mundane things of life. But like, I don't know, I think I'm a naturally spiritual person. And so I always felt this void when I just got caught up in these like external surface level things. There was always something missing. And it's like, finally, that piece is feeling like I don't have this void in me anymore. And it's like, this is why I knew I wanted to be a therapist is like helping people find what their meaning is and what their purpose is and that's different for all of us and that's what's so cool and it's not for me to decide or your therapist to decide it's for you to decide and like that is the whole purpose and I just think if we could understand why people behave the way that they do and most of us are just acting out our pain on other people and they're viewing life through the perception of their belief systems we'll stop like absorbing everything and instead when people throw insults or you know behaviors or whatever at you like you don't have to hold it and carry it with you everywhere you go. You can just drop it and be like, that tells me where they're at in their journey. And I don't judge them. Like, that's just where they're at. And hopefully they'll get there. But I'm not going to carry that for them. I have my own stuff to deal with, you know. And that is so liberating of just, I don't need people to approve of me. I don't need people to accept me. And I'm not going to, like, internalize and absorb everybody else's pain because it's not mine to hold. And, like, then you can be free. Like, there's just this liberation that comes with that and – like it kind of is just this like secret of how you like eliminate suffering basically and so yeah clearly I could literally we, we could make this you like a six month podcast, podcast. <laughs> I love I'm such a nerd about this stuff because it's just been like such it's been my life basically and so you know between my education like what I've learned in my own therapy most of what I'm saying is what my therapist has taught me mm-hmm. so it's like this is why I'm like everybody go to therapy like <laughs> you can learn so can much yeah and I think just what you said like just educating yourself and like being willing to just like sit with it and know you know like Mm -hmm. it's just better to know and like 
Yeah. You know, know and grow and feel and do all the things. Like, yeah. genuinely, we all just can come out on top. Right. I mean, it's yeah. like the educational piece, and that might be learning from somebody or listening to podcasts or going to therapy, but I think we kind of minimize our own internal truth. Like, we all have this soul, you know, inside of us that kind of knows all the answers. We just, you know, the same way you don't tell your heart to beat or your, you know, your lungs to breathe. It's this level of functioning that's not in our awareness. It's the same with, like, accessing these internal truths and, like, understandings. Like, we really know so much more than we we even know, you know? And so it's like if you can learn how to tap into that system in yourself, like, you don't need to go, like, externally searching for answers. It's more about, like, you know, going inward and, like, asking the right questions and knowing which, like, questions to ask. And that might be something you learn in therapy or something. And obviously you can learn things from other people. I'm not saying that, but it's, like, give ourselves more credit of, like, let me just be mindful. And, like, that's why meditation has been huge for me. It's just, like, what are my thoughts happening and what are those thoughts connected to? And, like, following the piece of the puzzle because that's all it is. And, like, then you'll, like, all the answers will kind of be, like, unveiled to you. And then you don't need everybody else to fix your problems because you know how to do it yourself and so that's just like the most empowering thing you could ever know about yourself and I think it'll just like create a whole new lens of life for everybody and hopefully make life fun because life is supposed to be fun you know and I love like that you are doing this podcast because like to me this is what it's all about is like supporting one another and talking about what we know and what's helped us and like help people get out of their pain because like that's what this will be, Emily. Like, <laughs> I hope so. Choosing, no, but seriously, yeah. like, I genuinely have a deep belief that, like, when you choose to be open and vulnerable and, like, see others through the eye of just, like, yo, that's your story and, mm-hmm. like, I'm here for it. Like, yeah. you do you. And, like, we're all just trying to figure it out. Like, we all just learn and grow and support each other. And yeah. it's just so much happier. Mm-hmm. And, like, you just, your life evolves in such yeah. a way that's, like, growth you know what I mean totally like it just the positivity that comes from choosing to view life that way versus like harboring unkind feelings or like you know what I mean holding these reservations against people who you just like truly don't understand yeah yeah you know, because of the way they behave or mm-hmm. like respond or look or something mm-hmm. like yeah some preconceived like belief you learned when you were young that yeah. like it's like know, do I even believe that or was I told to believe no, that right. you know seriously, no, seriously, yeah like, if you're not challenging constantly challenging like those beliefs as you interact with people as mm-hmm. an adult like I feel like you just can end up in one of those cycles yeah you stay about. in your comfort zone you never expand to different types of people that are going to like give you new ideas and perspectives and you know then you're just going to stay in this very like box that you've been in and maybe it's comfortable but like there's also something I mean being vulnerable helps other people but like a huge part of my story was the first time I shared my story was like first time it it like let go like I came out of me in a way I still had a bunch of work to do but it was like something about like our voices are we have voices for a reason there's like an evolutionary purpose and it's you know it's not always to you know roar about the beasts that are chasing us but it's almost a way of like relinquishing the beast within our souls and like being able to like voice what we're feeling is healing and people are never going to do that if they're not talking about what they're feeling what they're experiencing to not only help others but to most importantly like free yourself and like let go of that like stop suppressing it like use your voice we have it for a reason and so that's what a podcast is we're just all using our voices like how fun is this it's the best literally (laughs) yeah well thank you emily i think everybody will grow from what you taught us today i appreciate that thank you so much for having me of course (laughs) as i said in the intro of this podcast episode We may not experience what Emily went through. I myself have not struggled with anorexia nervosa, but I know that there have been times in my life where I have felt unseen and I have felt hurt. I have felt vulnerable. I have found myself responding in ways that in retrospect, I look back on and know that it was just me trying to cope and protect myself. And I think If there's one thing we all take away from Emily's story and the strength that she shows us, it's the control over our thoughts that we truly do have. You can decide today that you can be whatever you want to be. 
you are in control of your life, you are in control of your thoughts, of your emotions, of your decisions, and knowing that should be empowering, knowing that you are capable of so much if you just decide should be empowering. Emily is a living testament of that. She just exudes this radiance and this confidence and this beauty because she has chosen to latch on to those positive thoughts and let that positivity and that healthy emotion just really fuel her into her future endeavors where I know she's going to be the most successful therapist and one that genuinely we all will probably find ourselves going to in five years because she really will be just that person that everyone is drawn to, I'm sure of it. So I hope you learned something new. I hope that this episode filled your soul just like it filled mine. If you're not already, follow along at undereducated.pod on Instagram and catch us here next week for another episode.